So today is my 30th beard anniversary, which just means that 30 years ago today, I decided that I was going to grow a beard. Now, I know it's kind of a weird anniversary to celebrate, and it's kind of an odd thing to take note of and remember, but the thing is, is that I used to just really hate facial hair, but then it grew on me. Welcome to an all new episode of my other podcast, the show where I tap record and just start talking. My name is Steven. I'm your host. And uh, yeah, woo. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what else to say in these intros. I typically, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say here, folks. I'm just uh, feeling kind of melancholy and yet not at the same time. Do you, do you, do you know what that's like? Do you, have you ever felt like that? You just, you feel like this desire to get a bunch of stuff done, you know, you know that there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done. And in my case, I'm talking about podcasting and, you know, it's like deep down, it's like, oh, I want a podcast. I want to, I want to record. I need to sit down in front of this microphone and, and get it done. But then at the same time, I'm thinking, eh, sounds like a lot of work. I kind of would rather just sit here in my chair and stare off into nothing. I mean, for some reason that sounds incredibly appealing to me. And I don't know exactly what that means. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a medical psychological brain freaking dude, but sometimes you just get tired, right? You just get tired of all the crap. There's, there's just so much that goes into running a podcast. I mean, that is if you, unless you just don't care if nobody listens. And, you know, on the one hand, it's like my primary goal here, of course, is not to make money. But I think any podcaster would be lying if they told you to your face that they don't care if anybody listens or not, because in the end, ultimately, that's why we're doing it, right? And so it's more, really, there, there's more to just sitting down and recording. There's, there's just so much more to it. And I'm not, and I'm not talking about the editing and, and, and all that and writing up show notes and trying to come up with a title for the episode. And, you know, then there's stuff like, at least in my case, I want to create the, the the artwork that goes online on the website for the episode. And then there's the the thought behind, you know, getting out there and marketing it and all that crap. And sometimes it's just easier to sit here in the chair and stare off into nothingness for 20 or 30 minutes or so, or just read some comics because that's always fun too. Hey, uh, one of the things I did want to talk about is that recently... Uh, as early as last week, I know I was about three to four days late. I discovered that one of the albums from my youth, Crazy Nights by the band Kiss, turned 35 years old back on September 21st. And I really want to talk about that. Whoa!
Now, I feel like I've always been a Kiss fan. I know that as a kid, I remember watching Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park on TV back in the 70s, which was just a, a, a very terrible movie that starred the band Kiss, who uh, not only were a band, but they fought uh, werewolves and junk like that. <laughs> they weren't real werewolves. They were animatronic that uh, the guy who was running this carnival, this this theme park, he was, I guess, deciding he was going to be evil and he would create the animatronics for the park and he made them come to life and kiss, uh, fought, you know, back against this guy like they were superheroes. And, and they were in this in this TV movie, they were superheroes. And I remember really loving that and just really liking the idea of Kiss as a kid because, again, they were a rock and roll band. And uh, at the same time, they were like superheroes. And throughout the years, uh, until I got into high school, I know that we owned a couple of 45s. If, if, if you have no idea what that is, see, back in the day, kids, before digital music, before CDs, we had these things called records. And a band would put out an album, uh, uh, which also called an LP, a long playing record. But they would also release singles. And the singles would go on these smaller records that they called 45s. And the 45, I believe, don't, don't quote me on this, folks, because I'm not a smart man. But I believe 45 refers to the revolutions per minute that the the record would 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 go on the on the turntable from what i understand anyway i know we owned a couple of 45s that had like rock and roll all night on it on 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 one and and uh in the in the 80s um i really liked uh heavens on fire and lick it up but really those songs you know in the 80s were for me it was just like anything else I liked at the time. You know, I was I was still a kid in the 80s, so I wasn't out there buying records and junk like that. But it wasn't until my freshman year of high school when I met who would quickly become my best friend. Uh, we're still friends to this day. His name is Paul. He had moved to our sleepy little Kansas town from another state our freshman year. And the the two of us struck up a friendship. And one of the things we learned that we both had in common was our love of uh, heavy metal music. And by heavy metal, I mean what they refer to as hair bands today. But I distinctly remember him and I hanging out one weekend. Uh, I had stayed the night and then we had gone over to, he had a, a an adult sister and he, we were over there and he asked me if I liked the band Kiss. And of course, I said yes, because I remember them as a kid and I remember enjoying songs, you know, some of their singles. And he takes me into this room that had a, a record player set up and, and a bunch of records and his, his sister, I guess, had owned some, some old Kiss records. And I believe, if my memory strikes me correctly, and, and Paul, if you're listening to this, you can always correct me later through, a, through an IM or something and... Uh, maybe I'll tell the folks I was wrong. I don't know. But I believe the first record he put on was Kiss's Love Gun album. Uh, because I distinctly remember one of my favorite songs coming out of the first time I, I listened to Kiss being uh, Shock Me, which was a uh, an Ace Fraley song. And uh, I believe it was the first Ace Fraley written song that he had actually uh, did vocals for on an album. He had written a couple of other songs like Cold Gin, which Gene Simmons did the vocals for because Ace 
never really, uh, you know, to a certain, to up to a certain point, never felt confident about his own voice. And then they did shock me on the, the love gun album. And he, he did his vocals on that. But anyway, I'm, I'm kind of getting off topic here. So this probably would have been around late 86, early 87, because the, the crazy nights album came out on September 21st, 1987. And the previous album the one that, of course, came out before Crazy Nights was Asylum, and that was out in 1985. But over this weekend, uh, you know, like I said, Paul really kind of introduced me to to Kiss more than I had ever really known about the band before. And I really started to get into them and s- spent um, whatever money I could trying to collect everything in their back catalog, which at that point consisted of, let's see here. 17 albums if you include their their solo records because uh back in 1978 they had decided i think uh, ace was going to leave the band because he wanted to go do his own solo project and they all they decided well let's all do our own solo albums but we'll they'll be kiss albums but they will be our solo albums and they'll be dedicate we'll we'll dedicate them to each other and, and all this junk so if you include those then there were 17 albums by the time Crazy Nights came out. And of course, Crazy Nights, you know, this was during the time when they were no longer Waka Wooka Wookie. I don't know what I'm saying. This was around the time after they had taken the makeup off, which that that happened around 1983. I know that Lick It Up came out in 1983 and um, Creatures of the Night was the album before Lick It Up. And that was the last album that they had makeup on. And then they took the makeup off for Lick It Up. So anyway, they were not make they were not wearing the makeup at this point. And I guess the point I'm really trying to make here, folks, is that Crazy Nights was their first new album that I was, you know, was able to to look forward to um once I became a KISS fan. Does that make any sense? You know, it's like I became a huge KISS fan. They already had 17 albums out. They were already established. They were already out there. So Crazy Nights was the first thing that they had released that was going to be brand new to the world. And I would be experiencing it for the first time, just like everybody else. And because of that, Crazy Nights will always uh, hold a, a special place in my heart. And I know that in the entire discography of Kiss, you know, if you ask Kiss fans, what's your favorite album or name some classic Kiss albums or whatnot, you know, you'd hear stuff like uh, Destroyer and Hotter Than Hell and uh, Love Gun and stuff like that. And even if you uh, mention, okay, what's your favorite Kiss album after they took the makeup off, it would probably be Asylum and uh, maybe Revenge. But Crazy Nights is probably one that a lot of people, um, I don't know, I don't. I, I just have never felt like a lot of Kiss fans were uh, really got behind that one. It's not one of their favorites, but for me, it, it is, it's, 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 like I said, it holds a special place in my heart because it's the first brand new album I could look forward to. And so recently I sat down and listened to the whole thing again, which I, I have a couple of those songs in a, in, in a playlist on my, on my iPhone. So I've heard a few of the songs many times recently, uh, for example, crazy, crazy nights and my way. And, uh, I'll fight hell to hold you and reason to live, uh, turn on the night. So I guess I had a number of them that were in my, uh, hair metal band playlist, but, uh, sitting down and listen to it, listening to it again, 
recently it, in hearing stuff like uh, bang, bang, you and no, no, no. And when your walls come down, thief in the night, good girl gone bad. You know, it's like I haven't heard those songs probably in 20 years. And so it was it was really kind of a, a fun, nostalgic trip to go back and listen to all that stuff. And Crazy Nights was also the album. That was the tour. I first saw them live. I've seen them live four times, uh, twice without makeup. So I saw them on the Crazy Nights tour and the Hotter Than Shade tour. Uh, Then I saw them on their first reunion tour when they put the makeup back on. And then I think on their second, when they toured a second time before, it's either before or after Psycho Circus came out was the, 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 the last time I saw them live. And you know what? Paul was there with me all four times. Yeah, I felt like I just really needed to talk about that album. I was, I had planned on, I thought, you know, I'm just going to do a whole episode uh, on this album. You know, like I've done previous episodes where I've picked four or five of my favorite songs off of a certain album. I've only done a couple of those episodes. And I was, I was going to do that, count down my, my top four or five favorite songs from this album and play them live and and uh, I've, I'm playing some of the songs now in the background or uh, during moments in which I pause and, and junk like that. But um, I've decided not to dedicate an entire episode to the album. But I, I will say that a few years back, I listened to the audio version of Paul Stanley's first book, Kiss and Makeup. And he talks about this period uh, when they made this album and how Gene Simmons wasn't really all that involved. I mean, if you look through the the credits of this album, as far as who wrote the songs, um, Paul Stanley, along with other co-writers, uh, wrote, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of the 11 songs on the album. And then Gene Simmons, uh, again, along with co-writers wrote the other four. And so, um, you know, if you've read Paul Stanley's book or listened to it, you know, that Gene Simmons at this point was trying to make a, make a career for himself in Hollywood. And he wasn't spending, he didn't spend a lot of time on this album. And so, um, even though there are a lot of co-writers on a lot of these songs, uh, Bruce Kulik, who was the the lead guitarist at the time, uh, Eric Carr, who was their drummer, um, Desmond Child, who was a, is a, is a longtime co-writer of Paul Stanley's, you know, there's, there's a lot of co-writers on a lot of these songs, but from what I understand, it's like creatures. Why well, I almost said creatures of the night. Crazy Nights is kind of Paul Stanley's baby and it's very poppy. It's, it really does kind of, um, really shift into a more pop metal kind of sound. There's a lot of keyboards on it, but, uh, I'm still a big fan of it. Like I said, I listened to it just recently and still a big fan. Um, and, uh, now I kind of feel like going back and and listen to it, listening to, (laughs) wow, listening to it again, but I'm not gonna because I'm uh, recording a podcast. So instead, how about we talk about some comics? What is your favorite thing in the world? Comics. Yes. Comics! No, 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 wait. Tell me about comics. read a crap ton of comics over the last couple of weeks. I have been spending a lot of time trying to get caught up 
on the DC Infinite Universe app. I believe I may have talked about some of this uh, last week, but I'm not going to get into a lot of talk about uh, a lot of the old books that I read. I think I said the same thing last week, but there is one particular book that I did want to talk about from 2021 that uh, I think it's a six issue mini. They only have the four issues up right now on the DC Infinite Universe app because they're six months behind over there. Marvel puts their stuff up three months after they hit the shelves, but DC for some reason waits six. But I'm talking about One Star Squadron. This was, again, issue number one came out uh, on December 7th, 2021. And I know that all six issues are, are done. They've all been published, but five and six haven't quite shown up on the app yet. So I haven't finished the series, but it's written by Mark Russell with art by Steve Lieber. This so far, these first four issues, it is a wonderful, wonderful series. It's a humor series where they also inject a bit of uh, drama into it, which is some of the some of the best stuff. You know, that's that I, I love um, when they take uh, a humor story, whether it's a, a comic or a book or a movie or a TV show, it's primarily uh, a, a humor type story, but they inject some just some serious drama into it every once in a while. I think that's drama is done best when it is injected into a, a, a humorous story uh, rather than a drama that has some some comedy in it. That's, that's just the kind of the way I feel. But this is all about a a business called Heroes for You, four with a number four and you as a, the letter U. It's an app that kind of like Uber that people can use to hire superheroes to to uh, either come help them if they need some rescuing or to uh, appear at a child's birthday party. They can hire heroes for appearances and whatnot. And so working for this company is a lot of B, C and D list heroes uh, but the the guy who the the manager uh, or of at least this branch that the series focuses on is Red Tornado, and I don't want to get into a lot of detail here, really. But um, it's just it is just wonderful. There's there's a, a a a bunch of different side stories in it, a bunch of different plots, you know that that flow throughout that that all tie into the to the main plot. But one of them is uh, like one of the the heroes that gets work through heroes for you is a, a guy named Minuteman who is a, I think he's an old world war two hero. I don't recognize him. I don't remember him from, from uh, any, any old DC comics, but his big deal is there's a pill that he would take called uh, I think Miraclo and it would get grant him superpowers such as invulnerability, super strength and flight, but only for a minute, only for 60 seconds. And so he really has a lot of, trouble in the in at least these first four issues just getting some work and getting people to take him seriously and and uh it's really played up for comedy for most of it but there are also moments where it's just i you know it almost brings tears to my eyes certain certain uh scenes in the book with this guy but um it's a wonderful series if if you're into dc comics and you haven't checked that one out i i i do urge you to go read it, especially if you have the, the infinite universe app, because it's, it's on there. At least the four first four issues are, um, all right, let's talk about some new releases that came out this, this week. Um, I got three of them. I want to talk about all of them were released on September 28th. Uh, the first one is called old dog. It's old dog issue. Number one from image comics, 
This was written and drawn by Declan Shalvey, who is an Irishman. Why do I do that? Why do I, why, why do I have to try to do the accent? It's because I'm a stupid white American. That's why. Uh, he does everything on this book except the letters which were done by Clayton Cowles. Um, I found this book at first to be incredibly interesting and incredibly confusing at the same time. Um, the main character in this book, or at least this first issue, is a is a, a CIA agent who is uh, very old. And something happens in this issue, uh, some piece of strange electronic equipment that blows up and, and uh, causes Jack, I think his name is, to go through some changes. And they don't make it super obvious at first. And the changes that he appears to go through is that he, his age changes from like, or can change from moment to moment. Because there are certain moments in the book where I'm reading it and the dude is like, old and wrinkly and gray. And then a panel later, he's young with dark black hair. And I was really confused at first about what was going on because there are, there are moments that, cause you think you're reading flashbacks and then you realize it's all happening at the same time. And it's just, oh, it was so confusing and yet super interesting at the same time. Now saying that, I don't know if I'm going to continue with this series or wait for the trade. Uh, we'll have to see. Well, we'll see. I don't know. When the next issue comes out, we'll see how I feel. Um, I also read Flawed, issue number one. This was also out through Image Comics. It was written by Chuck Brown, art by Prenzy, and the, the lettering was done by Becca Carey. This is uh, this was really interesting, very violent. Um, there is a, uh, a psychiatrist or a, a counselor or a psychologist. I don't know what you would what you would call her. I don't know what her degree is, but she's She's uh she's got this client who is um dealing with the the death of a child. Uh, a, her, her daughter was kidnapped and murdered by a a serial killer that the media has dubbed uh, Skinwalker because he he skins his victims alive and he only takes murders and skins um children, female and black. And the police appear to be doing nothing about it. The guy has been killing for a year or something at this point. And so this mother is having her, her session with, with this psychiatrist and the, the mother leaves after her session is done. And we learn quickly after that, that the, the psychiatrist whose uh, name escapes me for some reason, Jim is her name. She's not just a psychiatrist. She is also a kicker of asses because <laughs> she, uh, learns uh her her so her, her apparent receptionist um provides Jem with information on a, a DNA sample that they had apparently gotten from one of the the crime scenes and they now know who the the skinwalker guy is and learn that he apparently is pr- protected by the government for some reason or somebody high up or somebody powerful and so Jem opens up a, a a door to a room that's full of weapons and she loads herself up and she goes to kill this guy. But she basically kills a bunch of dudes, you know, who are there to protect this guy, this, this skinwalker dude. And then she, she finds him and she, she shoots him point blank range through the head and the guy didn't die. And so she shoots him a number of other times and he still doesn't die. And so she realizes at this point that uh, there's something very unique about this gentleman and decides to spend some time with him. And then we find 
the body of this guy hanging up outside his place and he has been skinned and the police officer in charge comes to do his investigating and we learn that the dude's still alive. And <laughs> there's apparently a very powerful member of society. At one point during the issue, the guy is hooked up to all these freaking wires and stuff and he's waiting for this serial killer to arrive with a blood sample, um, which apparently is keeping this guy alive. And so, yeah, there's there's obviously some kind of very strange either sci-fi genetics twist to this story or or maybe even a supernatural twist. I don't know. But I really did enjoy the first issue and I probably am going to go on uh, with this series moving forward because it was a lot of fun. And by fun, I mean incredibly horribly violent. <laughs> uh, so if I guess if that's what you call fun, I don't know what that says about me, but uh, really enjoyed it. Chuck Brown, um, if you recognize that name and the artist Prenzy, they also did a, a book for, I think it was for, also for Image Comics called On the Stump, which I enjoyed that one as well. And looking at l- looking at this book online uh, and the description of the first issue, it, they, they describe it as Frasier meets the Punisher, which <laughs> just makes me laugh. I love that. Um, I also read from DC Comics uh, issue two of Superman Space Age, but I'm not going to talk about that here because I may make that the subject of next week's episode of Just Another Fanboy. So the last book I'm going to talk about is from Boom Studios, Briar, issue number one. This was written by Christopher Cantwell uh, and illustrated by Herman Garcia. Colors by Matthias Lopez. I I, I looked for this guy's... Uh, Somebody saying this guy's name online, I couldn't find anything. So I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, and it was lettered by And World Designs. So uh, the description of this issue simply says, what if Sleeping Beauty never got her happily ever after and instead had to save herself? Set in a brutal fantasy world that time forgot, this isn't the fairy tale you know. So the setup to this is, the the, the first part is very much kind of the... Uh, this Sleeping Beauty fable, this princess who uh, pricks her finger on a needle of a uh, like a uh, an old loom sewing machine type thing and falls asleep and uh, won't wake up. And the only thing that will wake her is love's first kiss, you know, the kiss from a, a Prince Charming type guy. And one of those show up and uh, before he can kiss her, he decides, you know what, um, I'm going to marry this this girl anyway. What's the point of waking her up? Because uh, if I'm going to be a prince of this kingdom and eventually the king, why would I want this wife over my shoulder the whole time telling me what to do and being a real drag basically is is almost the way they put it. So he kind of strikes a deal with the king to to marry the king's daughter, but not wake her up. And uh, she she does finally wake up like a hundred years later, uh, the 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 place where she is, where she is resting, where she is sleeping, uh, something happens in the world so that the, the castle crumbles down around her and, and everything around her is covered in vegetation. And the, the, the kingdom is no more by this point. It's still a, a fantasy world. And in fact, Christopher Cantwell describes it as high fantasy or a dark fantasy. And, and, uh, but wh- wherever the, the ruins of this castle, somebody, um, comes cutting through all the vegetation and I guess comes there to steal something that's been left behind and decides while they're there to go ahead and give this princess a kiss. We don't see who it is. We never see their face and it wakes her up. And uh, of course she's been sleeping for a hundred years. So she's not really in the best of health. Um, 
and she she wakes to find this world that's that's no longer what it was when she uh fell asleep it's almost like a a post apocalyptic fantasy world so it's like a uh fairy tale fantasy and then post apocalyptic fantasy a hundred years later so it's still swords and sorcery but it's 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 like it went from a uh, fairy tale to Conan the Barbarian over over a hundred years, and uh, she has to try to learn or figure out how to survive in this in this world, um, having been asleep for a hundred years and have has never. And when she was alive, she had everything done for her. Um, it's super violent at times, very bloody at times, and uh, probably the one of the most favorite things that I've read this week. And the art is just simply gorgeous. The, the illustrations by Herman Garcia are just, mm, you could just sit and look in this, look at this book and not read it. And you'd probably st- still enjoy the crap out of it. Uh, I will definitely be moving forward on this one. I'm, I'm fairly certain it's a limited series. I think boom only does limited series, but, um, best thing I read this week, Briar issue number one. And so with, uh, with that done, that's, that's all the comics. That's all the comics I want to talk about. So let's, uh, let's talk about some TV. So before I get into the weekly talk about the latest episode of She-Hulk, I will say that I'm recording this Thursday, um, having not yet watched the latest episode of The Rings of Power, which that's fine. I haven't quite figured out a way to talk about that show yet anyway. Um, I, I have, however, watched the first four episodes of Andor, which is the new Star Wars show that's on Disney+. Plus. Uh, the first three episodes did go up on September 21st, and then episode number four, released on the 28th. This um this is really quite unlike any Star Wars show or movie that I've seen so far. It's it's the prequel to the Rogue One movie if you've seen that. It's uh the main character is uh Cassian Andor who was in Rogue One. Uh he's a member of the Rebel Alliance and this is kind of I guess the story that tells us how he became a part of the Rebel Alliance when when we meet him in Rogue One, he's already a big part of of the Rebel Alliance. And so this is how he becomes uh, a part of that. It's set during a time period where I think it's five years maybe before Return of the Jedi. I believe it showed five years uh, before. No, five years before A New Hope. So it was uh, five years before the Battle of Yavin, which is the 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 big battle at the end of A New Hope. And I think it's set five years after... Obi-Wan Kenobi, which was set five years after Revenge of the Sith. I don't know. I don't know if I'm getting all that right, but this will also kind of give us more information on how the Rebel Alliance itself was formed, because this is at a time where there are pockets of resistance. There are various uh, little um, rebel groups, but they haven't all quite banded together to to throw all their might at the Empire just yet. Um from what I understand, based on uh, stuff that I read and watched before the show started, much of the effects, uh, or as much as they could do, uh, are practical. It's a very dark, gritty, dirty sort of show. It very does, very much does show the 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 darker side of the Star Wars universe. Um, 
it's really, really quite good. It's it's very, you know, if if you were to look at that at everything that they've put out for Star Wars so far, as far as the movies and the various television shows, if anything was ever going to go up, uh, be put up for like a, I guess in this case it would be an Emmy, not for technical achievement, but because it's just a dang good show, or uh, you know, because it's very well made and very well written and very well acted and you know, all the drama and all that crap. This, this would, this would be the one it's, it's just, it's just a damn good show. And, and, uh, I don't, let me look how many episodes are there going to be. There's going to be 12. And I believe I read that there's going to be three seasons. So it's a bit of a slow burn so far, um, four episodes in, and he just now has started to work with one of the, uh, small pockets of rebels. We don't, we we haven't got much of the story just yet. Like I said, it's a very slow burn, but it's really, really good. Um, they obviously have a big story to tell, and they're really kind of taking their time to do it. and And I'm not hating it. I'm I'm really enjoying it. And and uh, yeah, those come out every Wednesday, so we've got eight more episodes to go, stretching into the end of November. Uh, so yeah, beyond that, Thursday, uh, the day I'm recording this, we saw episode seven of She-Hulk Attorney at Law. This episode was entitled The Retreat, and Wikipedia describes it as this. Walters goes on several dates with Josh, but he disappears and seemingly ghosts her after they sleep together. While anticipating a text from him, she receives a call from Emil Blonsky's parole officer, who informs her that the inhibitor that stops Blonsky from turning into the abomination is broken and that she has to go to his meditation retreat to check on him. When she arrives at the retreat, Manbull and El Aguila accidentally destroy her car, forcing her to stay there until it can be towed away. The retreat lacks interest and cell coverage, even though Walters continues to nervously await a response from Josh. She attends a group therapy session with Blonsky, Manbull, El Aguila, I'm, God, I'm, I'm I know I'm butchering that name. I apologize. Uh, Porcupine, Saracen, and the Wrecker of the Wrecking Crew, where she is convinced to delete Josh's contact information and let go of her feelings toward him. As Walters leaves the retreat, a flashback shows that after she and Josh slept together, he secretly stole a sample of her blood on behalf of someone known as Hulk King. So, all right. I believe I said last week that there was something about this guy, Josh, that I didn't trust. He's the guy that she met at the wedding in last week's episode, and uh, he just seemed too good to be true. You know, he didn't, he wasn't interested in She-Hulk. He liked Jen as Jen, and uh, they spend the first part of the episode with them going out on various dates, and then again, like like I said, he, he, he sleeps with her, and then uh, the next morning, she wakes up, and he's not there. She gets, She sends him a text that basically says something to the effect of, last night was fun, I can't stop smiling. And then she spends three days waiting for him to text her back, and he never does. Uh, it says here that she gets a call from Blonsky's parole officer and tells her that she has to go to the meditation retreat that Blonsky runs to check on him. That's not that's not one hundred percent correct. The parole officer needs to go. He he has he needs to go to the meditation retreat to check on Blonsky to make sure that you know he's not changing into. The abomination, which uh, would um, be a violation of his his parole, but he wants She Hulk there 
because he he's not able, there's not enough um, available uh, police officers to go and back him up. So he wants the She-Hulk there in case Blonsky is turning into the abomination and decides to fight back. Um, based on this episode, he's not turning into the abomination. We don't know if that's true or not, but based on what we see in this episode, uh, it appears to be just a, a broken inhibitor. The, uh, the parole officer, uh, fixes it and then he, he takes off and it's as Blonsky is walking Jen to her car that these two characters, the man bull and El Aguila, uh, show up. They're fighting and they, they basically wreck her car in the process. Now, Manbull, I was really happy. I had no idea Manbull was going to be on this show, and I was really excited to see him. Uh, I don't really have a lot of history with Manbull in the comics, except for, I think it was, I looked this up, and now I don't know if I'm, if I'm here. Actually, I got the, I got the website open. Hold on. Incredible Hulk 341 from 1988. It's a, uh, Peter David, Todd McFarlane issue, and the the man bull has turned savage, and the whole cast to fight him in the state of Kansas. And uh, I I read that over you know just a couple of years ago, and it's the only time I've ever encountered man bull in the comics. But uh, reading up on him, he's not normally a savage character. He he has his own intelligence, and uh, we see him in this show, and I just I loved him. This apparently this this retreat that Blonsky has created is for, um, costumed, uh, some with superpowers, some not. Um, but those type of individuals, either bad guys or good guys, it doesn't, I don't think it really matters. Uh, El Aguila, uh, is he, for example, he is dealing with, uh, how he sees himself, how he deals with, uh, the way the public sees him, uh, as a person, because he is a, uh, he's a costume, uh, I don't know if he's a crime fighter or, or a villain, but he he considers himself a, a, a swashbuckler and he's Spanish and he wears a very Spanish themed costume, almost like a colorful Zorro costume. And it's it's got a lot of red in it. So apparently a lot of people think that he's a matador. And the fact that he comes into conflict with Manbull a lot in this episode only seems to uh, kind of bear down on that the idea that he is actually a matador and, and, uh, the two of them are like, are, are like frenemies almost. They're like best friends, but, but, uh, because he looks, because Oguila looks like a matador, he, uh, I think Manbull says at one point, you push a lot of buttons for me, <laughs> which was really funny. Um, we also had, uh, and I don't remember what, why Manbull was there. I don't know what his, what he was working on, but we also had, um, the wrecker, he shows up, he, he, he's part of the retreat. Uh, and I think he's just trying to become a better person. Um, I, I believe what he says is the, the, when he and his, his, his buddies, uh, tried to steal Jen's blood, it was like, I think at that point he realized that maybe he's on the wrong path. And so he just wants to be a better person. Um, Saracen is, he thinks he's a vampire. He may or may not be a vampire. That's something that he's dealing with. And then the porcupine, uh, was looking forward to seeing him. He spends most of the episode in costume. The others don't, but he spends most of the episode in costume. And in fact, during their group therapy session, his big thing is they, they're trying to get him to take the costume off, but he doesn't yet feel comfortable. He feels more protected within the costume. 
And uh, the moment that he finally takes the mask off is a wonderful moment in the episode. But the 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 bulk of this episode is is of course Jen there at the retreat, um, slowly becoming a part of this group therapy session. Uh, they help her deal with this uh, this thing that's happened between her and Josh. And uh, God, it was just a it was just such a great episode. Now I said last week that. Each week, I'm always like, oh, it's another great episode. But uh, I I wanted to kind of make a point that it's the show's not getting better with every episode. It's not like every episode is, you know, better than the previous one. It's just a damn good show each and every episode. But this one may be one of my favorites of the group so far. Now, we didn't get Daredevil again, but uh, I think I read on Twitter, uh, who is the guy that I follow he does a website called Murphy's Law, maybe. Um, Charlie Mo- Charlie Murphy, I think is the guy's name. I'm trying to find some of his tweets, which usually are front and center every time I go on Twitter. And of course, now that I'm looking for them, I can't find any. Fine. I will do a search. Charles Murphy from Murphy's Multiverse. He recently tweeted, I think today, that uh, if I read the tweet correctly, that Daredevil will show up in next week's episode. So uh, I guess I got that look to look forward to. But uh, yeah, uh, a, a super wonderful episode. It was written by Zeb Wells. I haven't really mentioned any of the writers or directors um, for any of these episodes, but I, I, I want to point that out because I recognize his name as a writer of comics. And in fact, I feel like he might be the guy who's writing Moon Knight right now, but uh, looking through his credits, no, that does not seem to be the case. I don't see any Moon Knight listed under the books he's written, but he's written he's written a lot of comics and I, I recognize the name, but nothing is jumping out to me as far as books that he has been on that were books that I have necessarily read. Uh, but he's done some TV as well. Um, yeah, not a lot else to say. Another great episode. One of my favorites of this series so far. Um, and I guess, you know, looking forward to more. I, I know I keep saying that, but can't help it. Some good stuff. Uh, so I'm going to, I guess I'm going to wrap it up. You know where to email me. You know where, to, you know what to do. It's all in the show notes. If you want to say anything, nobody has so far. <laughs> I'm not bitter about that, but uh, the stuff's out there. If you want to use it, that's up to you. It's not up to me. I don't have control over that. I don't have control over what you do. Only you have control over what you do unless you have someone in your life that you have uh, decided that they control what you do. I don't know. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you do in your life, but I can't make you email me and tell me how much you love me. I can only hope that one day you will email me and tell me that I am the greatest podcaster in the world and uh, you want me to keep going and podcasting until the end of my days. But uh, again, balls in your court. So until then, uh, I'm going to say goodbye at this point. So goodbye at this point.
Baby.